mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 18. We're going to be beginning in verse 1 this morning. We have finished what is commonly called the Upper Room Discourse. Uh, and so it kind of finishes in the first or second verse here, but it's really finished with a prayer that Jesus prayed for himself. He prayed for the disciples, and then he prayed for us future disciples, those that would believe in him uh, through their word, and that's the way he laid down the plan, that the word of God would continue to be passed down uh, by mouth. It is in writing, but it really the way that we share is with the word of God. Uh, I think it's Romans 10, 17 that says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And that's the only way that anybody's ever going to change their mind. Metanoia, repent, change your mind, is when you hear the truth... And you realize because of the Holy Spirit who opens your spiritual eyes that you have been living a lie and you want to live the truth and follow Jesus. So that's how uh, it works. You change your mind. And, then you, and I believe that life is a series, uh, a never-ending until we see Jesus face-to-face -face, changing your mind. Because it's a process where he's constantly washing and cleansing us and sanctifying us. And I, I've always said, and I still believe, that if, you know, the Bible says if we seen God, we would die. Well, I believe that if God showed us how bad we were, we would probably give up. We would probably die. Uh, so he works on one thing at a time. He works slowly. And if you feel like you're standing still, you might ask God. Why am I standing still? What is it that you said to me that I haven't listened to, that I didn't obey, that I should be listening to? Because he doesn't keep talking. If you're not listening and following and obeying, then he just stops and he waits for you to obey. Because he's not going to chew his words more than once, as they say. So we are going to open up here. Uh, really with an amazing text, maybe the most amazing text of the Bible, even though I said that about John 17. This is a, a, the way that it goes as you continue to go through the Bible and you see the truth of God and the work of God and then he exposes uh, your um, ugliness, then you continue to say this is more and more. This is grace upon grace. This is amazing and thank you, Lord, for calling me out of darkness into your marvelous light. But there is more going on here. Um, we're going to see him move into the garden. And, of course, all of life began in a garden. 
And so now we're going to see that all of spiritual life really begins in a garden. Everything is going to happen in this garden. And in fact, it already happened in Little Gethsemane in chapter 12. We know that he already knows that this is the purpose that he came for. And we had this preamble to it where you and I should begin to be thinking in our life, what has God called me for? What are my talents? What are my abilities? What should I be dying to and growing in? And these are the things that people that become newborn and new creations in Christ, they should always be focused on. Listen, we should always be focused on lifting up Jesus. We should lift up Jesus, like he told us in uh, John, well, I thought I had a note on it, lift up Christ, what was it, John 2, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself, it might be John 4, I can look, so we should always be looking to lift up Jesus, not lift up ourselves, but lift up Jesus, are you looking to lift up Christ? And if you're lifting up Christ, then you need to be looking up. Always looking up, right? Fix your eyes. Set your eyes on heavenly places. Colossians 3. Colossians 3 tells us about looking up into heavenly places. Why? Because that's where Christ is seated. Christ is seated. We're lifting him up. He's seated in heaven because he's God. And so we lift up Christ. We look up to Christ. And then what do we do, Greg? We're laying up treasures in heaven. Not treasures down here, Matthew 6, where, where thieves break in and rust and moth. And we're not trying to lay uh, up treasures down here, but we're laying them up in heaven because that's where our citizenship is at, is in heavenly places. It's John chapter 4. Um, oh, it's not John chapter 4. What are you doing? I was looking at draw. At draw is where the, the one, chapter 4 is where the woman says, I have nothing to draw with, or you have nothing to draw with. Isn't it chapter 2? Chapter 3, verse 14. Oh, it's chapter 3, Nicodemus by night. Yeah. So chapter 3, he's drawing. If, you li if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Chapter 4, the woman by the well, she's drawing, but she has no, no vessel to draw with unless the Holy Spirit comes in and puts water in you. And, and so you're always lifting up Christ, looking up to Christ, and then what are you doing when you're doing that? You're being washed and cleansed, so then you're laying up treasures in heaven. You're laying up treasures where your citizenship is at. You're learning to be of the same mind as Christ and learning everything that's going on. We talked about this. Me and Michael were just talking about it. I didn't know if I was going to talk about it. But when you are born um, in the physical, you have been upwards of nine months inside of a womb, an environment that you are totally dependent upon your mother, you're totally dependent upon somebody else. You're in a different environment of water where you're going to be birthed into a new environment. You're being prepared for that environment, right? And, and you're being prepared. The water represents the Holy Spirit. You're, and your mother is taking care of you. And everything that's going on, she's nourishing you and taking care of you. And then when you come out of the womb, she still has everything for you. I love the way that, that, that the, the mom is supposed to be nurturing and caring for. So now when you're in a spiritual life, you're in this womb of this world, right? 
and, and we're in the water, the Holy Spirit, and we're getting ready to see that because that's what's going to be pressed out here. The water, and we're in Christ, we're in the water, the Holy Spirit, and we're being nourished and taken care of, and everything is provided for, but we're being prepared for another environment that we're going to live in, a heavenly place where we get a new body, and everything that we need will be there. You don't have to worry about it. You know, you don't see a kid inside the womb going, oh my goodness, when I get out of this womb, what am I going to be wearing And the other place i got i got to start making a list of things i'm going to do but no you're birthed out of the the birthing chamber and then the parent begins to train you and teach you and, and prepare you for life and it's the same thing with christ when we're birthed out and we're birthed into we come out of the world and we begin to learn how to live in a heavenly place and how do you do that the first thing you want to do is not to glorify self but lift up christ well, how can I lift up Christ? Well, we find out where he's at, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's seated on the throne because he's God. So we begin to look up and say, teach me what I'm supposed to be doing. And then we're laying. As we begin to listen and obey and are led by the Holy Spirit, washed in the water through the word, we're laying up treasures in heaven because the treasure comes from the obedience. The inheritance comes from the obedience, not from the sacrifice. I know we look and we go, oh, I'm sacrificing so much. We look back and we think about what we're given, but we don't think about what he gave. A perfect God, a perfect God who came down he came down and died, became lower than the lowest servant, purposefully, willfully, by choice, to obey the Father. We were talking about this this morning, and, and it actually goes even further back to a womb. Uh, I was just talking with Michael about it, that I was about ready to pop, and we were talking about the water break and how in birth the water breaks. Well, this what's getting ready to happen is the water break here in the garden. We'll talk about it in a minute, but back when... When Adam and Eve were in the garden, you know, it hadn't, it didn't rain. The, 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 the earth was watered from the four rivers that flowed there. Uh, and so, so they were in a canopy. They were in like what you might call a greenhouse. They were, and there they were in this womb in creation. And then when sin happened, the water had to break. And God said, uh, uh, my heart shall not strive with men forever, and their days will be 120 years. So he gave them 120 years for Noah to preach righteousness and for Noah to build this ark and this boat and prepare this vessel with one door on it. And anybody that wanted to go in could go in. But really, we had a new beginning with only eight people, Noah and his wife and then his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives. Eight people, which is the number of new beginnings. And when you look at this, the water broke, as Michael was saying. The water broke, and we have a new beginning birth. And really, all this happened. Chapter 6, Noah found Noah means uh, comfort and rest. He found, he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Chapter 7, there's 40 days of judgment taking them to. Chapter 8, the door opens on Mount Ararat, which means comfort. I mean, and it's amazing to look at God rebirthing the whole planet again. He, he, he got rid of all that afterbirth and everything else, and he brought about a whole new beginning. And it's going to happen again. We're going to be birthed out of this life. And I just want to ask you, are you lifting up Jesus? 
Are you searching out and seeing your identity and seeing the testimony and asking the Holy Spirit to teach you what your gifting, your talent, your abilities are? Asking the Holy Spirit to grow you up and teach you to walk and teach you to live in a way where you can live as a citizen in heaven. Your citizenship is in heavenly places. And we need to be setting our eyes, seeking those things which are above, so that we can lay up treasure in heaven that will be waiting for us there. And the only thing that's going to be there is souls. That's the only thing that can go with us is souls. Your soul first, and then other souls that God has privileged you to be a witness to and to share the love of God with by your very actions. And we're going to see that here today in this text. So I pray that you are lifting up Christ. The only way to lift up Christ is to get low. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Let the Holy Spirit pour water on you. And you're seeking those things which are above or looking up and then laying up that treasure because of the love of God. Let's see, chapter 18. Well, 1726, and I have declared to them your name, your character, nature, your will, your authority, and will declare it that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. And that love will cause you to lift up, to look up, and to lay up treasures in heaven. And we're privileged to be part of the kingdom of God and the family of God because of what God is doing. We were lost. It wasn't nothing because of what we were doing. We were down here making mud pies in our own little esteem. And, and then we didn't like the mud pies. They tasted bad. And God had breathed life into mud. And then he plants a seed into that mud and begins to grow his very nature in us. It doesn't even, it doesn't even comprehend it. My little brain that's finite. His is infinite. My little brain doesn't comprehend why he would love me so much. So we're going to leave out of Jerusalem. Listen, we're going outside the wall. Think about it. Jerusalem has a city gate. It has a wall. We're going outside the wall. Jesus dies outside the gate. Jerusalem will be outside the walls in the new Jerusalem. There'll be no doors because there'll be no more enemies. All of these things are important because right now they want to build up walls. Oh, you say, no, some people don't. Oh, they're building up walls. They're just not doing physical ones. They're building up a bunch of walls of lies. The question is, is which brick are you and which wall are you being placed in? The enemy's walls or in the walls of the temple of the new Jerusalem? When Jesus had spoken these words, so, uh, I mean, really referring to his prayer, which we had the privilege of hearing him pray to the Father, which directs our heart. Think about it. Read chapter 17. Learn it. Commit it to memory. This is what God is doing now is chapter 17. Think about it. And so we want to line ourselves up with the will of God. What did Jesus pray? He prayed to the heart of God of what God was doing. And that's the way we should pray. Is one, by the Spirit leading us in what God's already doing. He spoke these words. 
he went out with his disciples over the brook Kadron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Again, we're talking about gates. The language is, is that they entered it like there was some type of a gate or some type of a surrounding around it. Now, they could have just walked into it, and there could be some unforeseen boundaries. But here we are in a garden again. And I would tell you, and, and, and I would submit to you, maybe that the garden that we're talking about really with our lives is our hearts. The soil of our hearts, when you look at the parable of the sower, we have a garden that we can walk daily with God and enjoy fellowship. And we can die to self and let him kill the weeds that are in that garden, the lies of the devil, all the stuff about us and everything about us and lift up God. We can let his truth be planted in there, which will just really, it will completely destroy the weeds of the enemy that he's planted in there. All of our life we've listened to lies. I submit that the garden is our heart. Not this garden. This is a real garden here that they're walking into. But that God wants to walk with you daily. A daily walk with God where he's right there in your heart always. And he's taking down the walls. He's tearing down the weeds. He's trying to remove the lies. He's washing and cleansing you with the water through the word. And he wants to spend time with you. He wants you to be led by what he's doing. And as we talked about last week, he wants you to be of one mind with him. He wants you to put on the mind of Christ. And the only way to do that is a daily walk in the word. Daily bread in the word. Where the Holy Spirit's teaching you truth. And your mind is being washed. And your mind is becoming like Christ. Because you're putting the word and the character, the nature and the will and the authority of God. Planting it in your heart. And when that happens, listen. God's all powerful. God's all powerful. It can grow. It can produce fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. But you've got to let him. You've got to give him access. You've got to let him make that entrance into your heart and give him access. Even when you don't feel like it, go to church. Even when you don't feel like it, read the Bible. Even when you don't feel like it, surrender to God. Because it's not about your feelings. If you wait for your feelings to get in line, you'll stay in a ditch. And you don't want to stay down in that ditch. We're going to talk about it in a minute. You want that ditch to have God's words planted in it and lift you up out of it. So they go, these disciples. And of course, disciples is an important word because it means a pupil. It means a learner. A disciple is following Christ. It's, and it actually, uh, he's with his disciples. And it's not the word with. Typically, the word with is para. This is the word soon. S-Y-N, it's pronounced S-O-O-N, and, and, and it means by association. They're associated with him, and they go out with him. They're the learners, they're disciples, they're his pupils, right? And they go out, and they go across the brook Kadron, over the brook Kadron, which means to pierce through to the other side. You're piercing through the other side. Why is that important? Now, the brook Kadron is a little bitty creek that really, there's no water in it except in this time, the winter time. Uh, it's just like a little stream between Jerusalem and Mount Sinai. 
And Mount Sinai is where Jesus would go and sleep at, I think, personally. But it's just an opinion. But in between that, there's this garden. To get to Mount Sinai, you've got to go through a garden. You have to have your heart changed, the garden. There has to be death, burial, and resurrection before you can get to Mount Sinai as you leave Jerusalem. And so listen to this. Brook Kadron, it's just a little brook that's mainly uh, empty most of the time. It actually flows down and, 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 and empties into, if there's any water, into the Dead Sea. So it's important to understand that. Uh, and so the brook is like a little, it's called a storm runlet. It's only when there's big storms is there even any water in it, right? Isn't that when we need the Holy Spirit most? When there's big storms? <laughs> we need the water then, right? Now listen, uh, uh, but Kedron, Kedron means turbid, or listen, in Hebrew it means dark. In Hebrew it means dark. Now think about this just for a moment, because not very long ago, a couple chapters ago, there was somebody that went out of the upper room in his own esteem, doing his own thing, chasing his own silver, and he went out of the upper room and it says it was dark. His life was now dark because he walked away from the will of God and the work of God. Now these others, they follow God. They're following God out of the city and across the dark and into a garden where there's going to be light, right? Because Jesus is the light of the world. But what happens with the one who went out and it was dark? They're going to come with a detachment of troops, maybe 600 men to arrest one guy, but they're going to bring their own lanterns, their own light, their own weapons. They're going to be doing their own thing. Listen to me, because there's a very great contrast going on. These that don't know everything, these that are following, these that are learning and admitting that they need to be led by the light, they're going out the right way with the right one into the garden to learn. But they're going to strike the shepherd and, and all the sheep will be scattered. They're not going to understand it. They're going to backslide. Peter's going to lead them back fishing when they're supposed to be fishing for men. But he he's already been told when he starts thinking about it. He's like, wow, I've already been told everything I need to know. When he settles down, Peter, when you return to me, strengthen the brethren. That's what Jesus said to him. Be concerned about others when you return to me, Peter. See, now he could have preached that first sermon in Acts chapter 2 and said, Yeah, look at me. Look what I just did. Look at those words that I just spoke. But no, he was more concerned about strengthening the brethren and proclaiming Christ. He was concerned about lifting up Jesus, him you crucified, the Lord of glory. He lifted him up and he would look up and he began to lay up treasures in heaven. Where when he died, he said, No, please don't, please don't crucify me the way the Lord was crucified. Crucify me upside downward, because that's the way I lived and started this life. Crucify me upside downward. And now we've been turned right side up because of the garden. What's going on in your garden? What's growing there? What plans are you making that don't include God? Where you're chasing silver. See, silver is an important thing because silver stands for redemption. And Judas was chasing silver. 
He was listening to the voices of this world and not the voice of God. He sat and dined and walked three years with the Lord of glory. My own familiar friend has lifted up his heel against me. And he brought a detachment of troops that he got from the chief priest. And he ends up going away. Not, he doesn't spend the money. He doesn't enjoy the money. He gets nothing out of the money. And he hangs himself from despair. How sad is that? There's nothing good that can happen apart from God. And God has come and died for us to reconcile us, to bring us back to him. And we need to surrender everything and make that choice just like he did to die. And it's going to be in the text here. So they go out. They cross the brook Kadron, right? And, and, and we're not even given the name here. This is one of the things that the Holy Spirit always does. The Holy Spirit doesn't give his name. He doesn't want to draw attention to him. And this is where it's going to happen at in the garden. Remember, he's already been in this garden. And he told the boys to pray and wait. And he went in and he said, not my will, but thy will be done, Lord. And if there's any way, take this cup from me. But there was no other way. There had to be this sacrifice. There had to be this death, burial, and resurrection. It had to line up with the Old Testament. It had to go the way that it went. God had to give his life for us. And he's, he's become our friend. And he, and he wants us to be in heaven with him and enjoy this love forever. So they crossed the brook of John. And there's a garden. What's going on in your garden? What's going on in your garden? This garden, no name is what I was saying. It's like the Holy Spirit doesn't draw attention to himself. He doesn't give the name of the head servant back in uh, uh, Genesis. He doesn't even give his name in I think it's Genesis 24. When, when, when the head servant goes to get a bride for Christ or for Isaac, he doesn't even give his name. You have to go search out and find out what name is it? What name is it that every man can be saved by? You have to go find out who's in authority. See, that name is Jesus, and it means the Lord is salvation. Jehovah is salvation. But what does it really mean? It points back to Jehovah, God. It points back to his character, his nature, his will, his authority, what he's doing on the planet, the testimony of him that we have been estranged from that we have been removed from because of a lie that was planted in us. And now we need to have that lie exposed with truth, that light to shine in us. Oh, I got a light. I'm doing pretty good. I got me a lantern. I got me a torch. Running around in the garden, I got a lot of power too. I got 600 men behind me, Judas would say. Judas means praise. He will be praised. Who? It's insane. It's, it's insane when you start looking at this stuff, guys and gals. Who will be praised? It's up to you. Do you want to chase silver and praise that, or do you want to lift God up and look to God and then lay up treasures in his house where you're going to live for eternity? Because what you're lifting up, what you're looking up, and what you're laying up is going to be in your house for eternity. 
whether it's in hell, if you're chasing earthly, demonic, sensual things, or in heaven, if you're being led by and following the Lord of glory. He is the light. You don't need any artificial. You don't need anything else. You don't need to pretend. You need to surrender in the garden and allow him to plant his seed in your heart. And he says... I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Because he's God. He has all authority. And he knows what he's doing. So they go into the garden. But what is the garden? Listen to me. It's not mentioned here. It's the garden of Gethsemane. What? Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of olive gardens in this area. Gethsemane. Listen, Gath is Hebrew where this was named at for wine press or a vat that hold, held grapes. And then Simone or semen is the word that we get from it. That's the word it is, semen in, in the Hebrew. Believe me. How do you get light? In the Garden of Gethsemane, when God plants His Spirit in your heart, it means fat or oil. Gethsemane together means oil press. When you go into the garden, it presses the oil out. It presses out the oil when you go through. Think about it. What did He do when He was in the garden before? Father, if there's any way, take this cup from me. What does it say happened? Three times he did that, and he came and checked on the boys, and they were sleeping. They can't do nothing. When the first covenant, Abraham was sleeping. When Adam, Adam was asleep when the church, when the bride was born. We can't do anything except surrender to the work of God. So what happens? Hematidrosis. Jesus, is, the son, is praying in the garden and he sweats great drops of blood. Hematidrosis. It's an actual thing that can happen when you're under great stress. The, the, the blood capillaries burst in your body and it can come out your sweat glands because of the stress. Here's a 100% man, 100% God. A, a man who is 100%, listen, 100% a body, flesh, with the Spirit of God without measure in him, and he is relying upon God the Father and God the Spirit to walk out his sonship. He laid aside the prerogative of being God. He's listening to the Holy Spirit. He's led by the Spirit of God. After he was baptized, what happened? He said to, he said to John the Baptist, let it be so, so that all righteousness could be fulfilled. And then the Bible says he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Oh, no, you left out something, Greg. After 40 days of not eating, he was led by. So he was at his weakest point where he could be tempted the greatest because he hasn't eaten. He hasn't had anything for 40 days. Now his flesh should be desiring everything. And he was tempted yet without sin. And he did that for you and me because he was already on the throne in heaven. He came down and does this for you and me 
so that he can give us his righteousness and take our wrath. And this is what's going on in the garden as he's going to be uh, uh, betrayed. He's going to be uh, lied upon, beaten, a mock trial. Everything about it is going to be illegal and perpetrated against the Lord of glory. And he's not going to open his mouth. He's not going to make a defense. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He knows why he came. He knows what he's called for. He knows what God is using and anointed him for. And these are things that God wants us to know. Why are we called? What are we doing? What's going on on the planet? It's not confusing. He's here to pour out his love and to save souls. And then when we get saved, we're supposed to surrender and choose to, in the garden, die and allow him to produce himself in us, which is love, which goes out and it looks like joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And all the power of the universe is being handed to us as a privilege to go out and tell others, to go out and be a witness, a martyreo. And it takes time. We're going to see it with Peter. We're going to see his life. You can watch him on the pages. I'll bring that up in a minute. So the Garden of Gethsemane is where the seed of God is pressed out. It's the crux of everything. The crux means cross. The decision has been made. And here he is. And they're in the garden, verse 2. And Judas, how'd you like this epitaph? Who betrayed him. I think the word's used like nine times and four times. It's on behind Judas's name in the New Testament. Judas, he shall be praised. Who betrayed him, paradidomi, or excuse me, paradidomi, um, Paradidomi to surrender, to yield up, to deliver, to give over. It's actually the word for prison. When John the Baptist was thrown into prison, it's paradidomi. He was put in prison, betrayed by Herod. So Judas puts him in a prison. Or you can release him and let him take your life. You can let him have you completely. Also knew the place. And you know, this is, this is something that's very interesting. See, Judas is the son of perdition, we know. Uh, but do you know that the devil knows the place to get you? The devil knows the place where you try to meet with God. The devil knows all about sin because he's the originator of it. He's the one that perverted God's words. He's the one that, that knows about religion. He knows the synagogues of Satan. He knows everything because he's trying to deceive you. And he also knew in the garden that there was one tree that God didn't want him to eat of. He knew in the garden which one to attack. He knew what to do. Before he attacked Job, remember he was in heaven. And God questioned him. God allows him to do things. God tests him. God uses him to tempt you. The devil knows a lot more 
And that's why it says in Hebrews that Jesus became a little lower than the angels. And God uses the Son of Man a little lower than the angels to defeat the greater being because the greater being is not obeying. No matter how great we think we are in the kingdom of God, no matter how good we think we are, if we're not obeying God's word or looking in our heart to obey God's word, we're being deceived by the devil. Because it's all about his word. Did God say? This is the crux of it all. Did God say? Oh, I went to church and I traveled land and sea and I did this and I was winning proselytes. Oh, I made so many sacrifices. Are you obeying? Are you looking to obey? They stumble because of disobedience to God's word. We need to look to obey. And there's nothing in us that will obey God except for the Holy Spirit, except for surrender, except for the garden where the fruit, the, 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 the semen is planted in your heart and it can grow or it can die. You can let the world choke it out. You can let all the cares of this life choke it out. You can let everything else choke it out. Or you can let the Holy Spirit water the seed. And in that birthing chamber, it comes out. What's the, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's burnt out by what we say. It's burnt out by what we do. And it will reveal the garden of our heart. We were afraid and we hid from you. Why are you hiding from me? Have you eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which I told you not to eat of, because when you do, you will surely die? The woman did. What have you done? The serpent did. And notice they want to blame somebody else instead of saying, here I am. And Jesus comes and says, I am. Jesus comes and takes every bit of it. God comes and takes it. Do you believe that in your heart and confess it with your mouth? In your garden, do you believe in it? Is it producing fruit? Stay low. We're going to see it. Stay low. So he also knew the place. Judas knew the place. Judas knew where they would go. Judas knew what they were going to do. He knew the plans. Listen, God's not scared. He lets the devil know the plans. God's not scared. He's all-knowing. He's ever-present. He knows everything. He's not afraid to let the enemy see. He's not afraid to live in the light. He's not afraid to expose everything. There's no wisdom or counsel against God. He's not afraid. He tells everybody the truth. He sets his light on a hill. Here's my firstborn, Israel. My firstborn, son, I'm going to raise him from the dead, May 14th, 1948. He's not afraid. There's no wisdom or counsel against him. There's only strong delusion that happens if you keep putting on the mind of the world and ignoring the fruit of the garden. It creates that separation. A huge separation. So Judas, the son of perdition, he knew the place because for Jesus often met there with his disciples. He met there. He's been following. He's been with them. He's been going there. The devil knows where you're going. The devil knows what you're doing. The devil is invited to come and join. But if you're in Christ, 
Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. You don't have to fear him. Then Judas, verse 3, having received a detachment of troops, it just says a detachment, notice of and troops is in italics, and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees came there with their own light, lanterns, their own wisdom, torches, their own and weapons. Now it's interesting. Again, here he comes. A detachment is, is, is somewhere they don't really know. We don't know, obviously. Two to six hundred men, probably. Maybe one to six hundred. He received them. He receives a detachment of troops. What are you receiving? Think about it. Judas went out. It was dark. He's trying to betray. He's pursuing the world. He's receiving power from the world, light from the world, instruments and weapons from the world to do his bidding. And what's he doing? He's trying to imprison and kill Christ. Or you can be on Christ's side following him, and he's the light of the world. And if you have fellowship with him, you'll not walk in darkness. It's powerful stuff. But you have to surrender. You have to believe him. See, people can actually be involved with religious stuff. People can actually be looking like they're doing everything that Christ's followers are doing, and it's still dark in their life. Their heart is still wrapped up in this world, in this earthly, central, demonic world that is trying to kill Jesus. Because no matter what you say, everything's about death. It's about the death of the truth. And truth is a person. And truth is God. He sent his heart down here. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I've come to get you. Follow me, and I'll lead you out. Uh, hang on. I got, I got some other thing I'm going to do. I got some torches and some lanterns and some weapons that I'm going to work with for a while first. No. You've got to cut the umbilical cord. I'm no longer of this world. You've got to cut it. And be in Christ and say, I don't know how it works. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what you're going to do next. I don't know how it's going to feel. I don't know whether it's going to be good, bad, or indifferent. But I know that I am in you. And that you're going to one day birth me into heaven because I'm lifting up, looking up, and laying up. Everything. you got to cut the ties. Cut them. Or you'll still be receiving resources from this world. And you'll still be somewhere in the middle instead of on his side, following him out of his side as the church was birthed. The evidence is clear by what we do. And nobody's going to do it perfectly. See, he already knows that. That's why he says, get your eyes off of your sin and get your eyes on lifting up and looking up and laying up. Because if you lift me up and you're busy with that, I'll take care of the rest. I'll take care of the rest. Believe me, I'll take care of the rest. I'm not talking about saying I have, I'm okay to waller in sin and I'm okay to sin, that's not the point. God forbid. He came and died for sin. It's paid for. It's done. It's over with. It's time to lift up, look up, and lay up and start allowing God to use your life, your empty vessel, or your instrument. 
I love that word. We looked at it over in Romans 6 the other day, and I was like, are you kidding me? It's all about worship. Oh, yeah, worship's about banging on a loud guitar and some smoke and lights. No, it's about what is your instrument doing? Your members, your body, your life, you are an instrument here either for the devil or for God. Which one are you worshiping? We are instruments. This is serious stuff. And we all need to learn this. Listen, I'm learning this with you. I'd love to be able to sit in a chair. I'm just using my gift. This is what God's showing me. And if you don't have your own personal relationship with God, then maybe he's not showing you what he's showing me. But if you do have your own personal relationship, I hope that this helps water your garden, change your heart, and so that you find out what it is that he's using you for, your gift, what part of the body you are so you can encourage others. And so much more as we see the day approaching, because it's coming. But it's going to be different for those who listen. See, because right now, this is the day. Chapter 18 of John is the day that he took our judgment. He took the judgment for the whole world. But only those that are following him, that believe him, are going to escape the judgment in the future, the white throne. We still all have to appear at the judgment seat of Christ, but our judgment is going to be about the Bema seat, rewards, why we did what we did after we came to him. How we did what we did. Did we do it by the Holy Spirit? Did we do it for self? Did we do it for him? Were we building with wood, hay, and stubble? Or are we building with the Holy Spirit looking for reconciliation of souls? Listen, we might be little tender sprouts just coming up out of the soil right now because we just believed. But we're supposed to bear fruit. And we got to let the Holy Spirit keep watering us. Notice everything that he's hanging out with, Judas. Who does he come with? He's got a detachment, two to six hundred, one to six hundred, something like that. Maybe six hundred men. Could be, could be a hundred. What's it matter? He's got eleven disciples in him. Why do they need a hundred soldiers with torches and lanterns and weapons for? He preached in their, in their temples every day, and they come at him. So it really doesn't matter what they have. They can have tanks and bombs and whatever they want. He's the God of glory. He's the Lord of glory. And notice, you're going to see this in, the, in this entire text. He's in total control. They're not in control. They're being led by some spirit that wants them to die. And has no power over God and what God's plan is. He's in complete control, 100%. So he's with the uh, officers. And some people have said, and maybe it is, just uh, 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 temple guards. Just a few temple guards. I believe Romans are with them because the word for detachment's a Roman centurion thing. It, it has to do with Roman soldiers. Doesn't have to do with a temple guard, which they had over their own uh, 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 temple that the uh, Romans allowed him to have. And then from the chief priest, notice it's plural. Well, if anybody knows the word of God, there's only one chief priest. There's only one high priest. 
But this is in the plural. Because at the time, there's Annas, who is the real high priest. And then there's Caiaphas, his son-in-law, who Rome placed over them because they didn't like Annas. Because Annas was trying to teach them the word of God. And Caiaphas was trying to be a mob boss. And so he was pleasing to Rome. So they took the real, and, and that's why you're going to see when he gets arrested, we'll see it here a little bit later, they take him to Annas' house first and then to Caiaphas's. See, the people know who the real high priest is. Do you know who he is? He's Jesus. He's the Christ. He's the, he's the, he's the high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, having no beginning and no end. He's the prince of peace. He's not of this earthly line. He's of a godly line who come out of heaven to die for us. He's the one that mediates and orchestrates and works in the temple in heaven and made his own body a sacrifice to save you and me and poured out his blood in heaven. Isn't that amazing? So he's got the chief priest, and that's who they came from, the Pharisees. Oh, those are some really religious people. You know what their name means? Separated ones. They were separate from everybody else because they believed their own thing. So they were separated. Listen, we are not of the world, but we're not isolating. We're going back to tell the world. We're going back to show them that our light is not worldly torches. Our light is not lanterns. Our light is the light of Christ because the Holy Spirit is in us. And we live differently. Not separated just to go, we're special. And then they have weapons, which is the word, like I said, for, for, for uh, uh, instrument, an instrument over in Romans 6.13. It's an offensive tool for war. Ours now is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God and prayer. That's our offensive weapons for war. You're going to see Peter's trying to do some stuff in the flesh. That's why I'm telling you, just because, just because somebody's living for God doesn't mean they don't do stuff in the flesh. Watch Peter here. He's still in the flesh. He still doesn't get it. And it's okay not to get it completely. Are you moving in the right direction? They are. Even later in Peter's life, what happened? Paul had to rebuke him for not eating with Gentiles. He got a little haughty and was like, oh, I better stay separated from the Gentiles. And Paul rebukes him for it. Verse 4, Jesus, therefore, because all this, we see this detachment of troops. They've got, they got a bunch of guys coming. It's a loud ruckus. they got lanterns. they got torches. And they got weapons. We don't know what kind of weapons because uh, we weren't there. He, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? Now notice that because he clearly says he's God. Right there. Our author, John, by the power of the Holy Spirit, said, Jesus, therefore, seeing all of this going on in the garden, knowing all things. Who knows all things? God. See, right now, you and I would be in trouble if we knew all things. We would be in trouble. See, if I knew a couple years ago that my wife was going to go be with Jesus, wouldn't I be in despair about it, constantly focused upon it? 
Think about him in the upper room during communion. He's given thanks for what he's getting ready to do, knowing all things. You know how hard it would be if you knew what was going to happen tomorrow? It's very difficult. You would go, I'm not going to tomorrow. I'm not getting in the car. I'm not going to work. But see, we serve a God who loves us and died for us, and he knows all things. And if you listen today, he's preparing you for what he knows is going to happen tomorrow. He's preparing you today with truth to deal with the lie and the deception and the destruction and the pain and the suffering of everything for tomorrow. But you know what the devil does? He flips it upside downward, and he says, God knew your wife was going to go to be with him. God knew she was going to die. God knew she was going to have cancer. And now you need to blame God. Because God knew it. No, God was preparing us for it. You can't survive through it without God. How do people make it through it? You have to look at it right side up. That God is preparing. That God is the one that is allowing. That God is the one that is shaping your heart. He's planting truth in your garden. And if you harden your heart, it won't receive the seed. And that's all the devil wants to do is to harden your heart to life to where the seed doesn't get planted. And it just lays there on hard ground. And it's got no way to grow a root. Nowhere to grow. How's your heart today? You still mad at people? He says, forgive them so that he can soften your heart and turn that dirt over. You're still upset with your lot in life? He says, be content with all things. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Understand that he loves you. Understand that he knows what he's doing. Understand that all things work for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Understand that he's taking you to a great place. Learn to lift him up. Learn to look up and learn to lay up treasures in heaven. I'm getting a little bit excited. I think I'm going to pop. Jesus knows all things that would come upon him. I am so glad I don't know all things are going to come upon me. But you know what can come upon you? The Holy Spirit can come upon you with power to go out and love and to go out and serve. Jesus said, quit focusing on the physical. Acts chapter 1. Will you at this time restore the kingdom? They're worried about a physical kingdom. They're worried about the land. They're worried about their place and their position. And he says, quit worrying about the things that the Father has put in his own time. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be witnesses for me throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And when you're lifting him up and you're looking up and you're laying up, you're being a witness by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way it can be done. He knew everything that would come upon him. What did he do? Went and hid. Guess what? I, I sometimes think about that. That'd be a good idea. Just tell everything and go hide. That'd be a good idea. They're coming to get me. I'm going to hide. Think about it. Here he knows what's getting ready to happen. He's going to be arrested, betrayed, beaten, mocked, spit upon. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be beaten worse than any man. We're going to see that, but the Bible don't. The Bible does not want you to focus on that. 
It was a cleanup statement where he was supposed to be confessing his crimes against humanity, his crimes against the Roman government. And when you can't lie and you've never done anything wrong, guess how bad that beating's going to get? You and I, we would have lied. All I got to do is tell them I did something, they will stop hitting me. I did it. He can't lie. His character will not allow it. His nature will not allow it. His will will not allow it. His authority will not allow it. There is no lie in him. So what does he do? He goes forward. He went forward. He's in control. And he said to them, whom do you seek? Now we're going to see this twice. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a matter be established. He's going to go twice and say this because he's protecting all the rest. That's why he came and died. He's protecting those who believe in him. He's protecting his sheep. He's protecting those that the Father gave to him. He's making sure that nothing comes upon them that doesn't have to happen. Because normally, if you arrested a leader, you'd try to kill all of his followers. You'd arrest all of his followers. When you see this, as we go forward, the women are still running around. Because they didn't care about the women. But they would actually round up the followers so nobody else became the head and started leading an insurrection. These guys are hiding behind doors because they're afraid they're going to be killed after they scattered. But you see the women coming to the tomb. He goes forward. He moves forward. Isn't that what sheep do? Forward moving? Sheep move forward. They don't go backward. That's what it means if you look up sheep, forward-moving animals. He knows all things. He's aware of them. But he's in complete control. And he's in heaven now, seated, praying for you and me. Because he knows everything that's going on. He's preparing it and he's praying for it. Isn't it amazing? He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. He knows what's going to happen next year. And he's preparing you today and praying for you that you will listen. Because he already knows perfectly. Same way he prayed in 17. But are you trying to align your heart and your mind with what he's doing? Or are you still chasing everything else? Or are you trying to align your heart and mind with his will at this moment. Very important to understand. He knows and he's preparing for you. I, I, I was given one parable that I wrote years ago and it's our struggles today will be our strengths for tomorrow. Whatever you're struggling with right now in your life, lay it down at Christ. Find what he says to do with it. Find out what your identity is and prepare it and use it for his glory. It'll be your strength for tomorrow. If you stand in Christ with it. And he says to them. Whom are you seeking? Listen. Who are you seeking? Uh oh. What side are you on? Are you still standing around with torches and homemade light? Weapons? Notice what they answered. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. See that? There was a bunch of Jesuses. 
But they said Jesus of Nazareth. You know what Nazareth means? Separated one, or one separated. Isn't that interesting? He, Jesus steps up forward in the will of God, takes control of the situation because he has all authority. They're not in control. They're following Judas. They're following darkness. They're following lanterns and torches and weapons. And he's following God. He's fulfilling the will of God, the plan of God, the work of God, by the Spirit of God. And he's taking care of, laying his life down for those that God gave him. He's in the perfect will of God. So he goes forward without any fear. And he says, whom are you seeking? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Keep paying attention. Jesus said to them, I am. Now listen, I know your Bible says, I am he, but that's in italics. He's in italics. It's not in the original text. All Jesus says to them is, I am. Ego of me. Just like he's told us seven times. I am the light of the world. I am, I am, I am, I am. All the way through John. It's ego of me. He's the self-existing one. He's God in the flesh. He says, I am. And then we're given this word. Once you know that he's the I am. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Who are you standing with? Who are you standing with in the garden in your heart? Listen, it's a very important question. You might think, oh, wait a minute. I go to church every week. I read my Bible. No, who are you standing with? See, because I'm standing in the victory of Christ. Christ already won everything. I'm standing with Christ. That's our position is to stand in his victory. We're not fighting for anything anymore. You're going to see in a minute Peter trying to fight. He doesn't know that he's already victorious in Christ. He doesn't know all the things that God knows. So he's still trying to fight. You don't have to fight for your salvation. It's being given to you as a free gift. You don't have to fight over your sin. It's being given to you as a free gift. You're done. You can rest. You can, you can cease from all of your works, Hebrews tells us. And you can enter into God's work of the reconciliation of souls. You can rest and allow the Holy Spirit to plant truth in your heart and water it and grow fruit. Who are you standing with? Do you believe 1 John 5.19? I know you're of God, but the whole world lies underneath the sway of the wicked one. The whole world lies underneath the sway of the wicked one, the devil, who has torches and lanterns and weapons and instruments to try to deceive you and arrest you and get you to stand with him and trust him instead of following Jesus, who's already won the victory. The whole world is trying to get you to believe their lies and their demonic influence, their earthly, central demonic influence. And what do they do? They take God out. They take God out. Who are you standing with? Notice what this is. The one that went out and it was dark, he's standing with them. The ones that crossed across the brook Kedron, they're getting ready to freak out and be scattered. Because it's prophesied you strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. 
See, we already know this now. We don't need to scatter. The shepherd's alive. He's seated at the right hand of the Father praying for us. He had to go through this. They were scattered because they didn't understand. They backslid because they didn't understand. God's given us full understanding now. We can know him. We can be betrothed to him. We can have growing intimacy with him. We can follow him. We can be led by his Holy Spirit. Now notice this, the number of man, verse 6. We got to it. Verse 6 is the number of man. Now when he said to them, what happened to man? When he said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. Listen to me. They fell backward. They drew back the number of men. It means backward. They went backward and fell on the ground. Isn't that interesting? See, God went forward. God's moving forward. Sheep are forward moving. And when he said, I am, they fell backward. There's a lot of things we can talk about. And the, I mean, if you rest, wish to read the rest of the, the Gospels, the other three, they talk about a whole lot of stuff. I mean, we're trying to show the glory of God. He just prayed for it, and now you're seeing it in the Gospel of John. His glory, his power, his might. The other ones show his beating, his arrest, and a lot of things that, that, don't, that are not here. Because we're looking at the deity of Christ. The glory of God. You know, in one of the other texts, it says that Judas come forward and kissed him and betrayed him with a kiss. Man. Kiss the face of God? You drew that close? And then chased the lanterns and the torches and the other instruments? And took the silver and went and killed yourself? Think about that for a minute. Judas kissed the face of God, but never stood with God. That's a sad testimony. To kiss the face of God. But you're doing it to betray him. A lot of things you can say. At least we know he didn't glow now. Like many of the pictures that you see on people's walls. He wasn't glowing. Because if he was glowing, they wouldn't have needed Judas, right? Judas could have just said, hey, I'm not going to the garden. Just get the one that's glowing when you get there. He didn't glow. He, I mean, even he, he, when you see him come in there, they don't even know who it is until he steps forward. It's dark. They don't know where he's at, and he comes forward freely as the Lamb of God into darkness to lay his life down. Isn't that what he said? He became flesh and dwelt among us. The light of the world came into darkness, and they couldn't comprehend it. He comes forward into the darkness and says, here I am. Leave these alone. And it's the same thing because it's all being laid upon him. He's taken the full wrath of all the sin. Nobody else has to die. Nobody else gets struck. Nobody else gets hurt. Every bit of it's laid upon God. The full wrath of sin, the punishment for all the sin of the world is going to be laid upon him. Nobody else that's with him is ever going to be punished. But if you choose not to believe it, you still have to go to the white throne judgment and receive your own punishment. Whom are you seeking? 
And, and, and again, I am, and they fell back. There's a thing that goes on in the church movement. I just say it quickly. If you worship God, you fall on your face. You don't fall back. The enemies of God fall backward. And there's a thing called slain in the spirit in the church today where people fall backward. Listen, there's nowhere in the Bible that anybody falls backward that is on God's side, that's standing with God. Doesn't mean that there's not a power there, but if you're involved in falling backward instead of falling on your face and receiving and standing with God and letting him plant his semen in you, his seed in you spiritually and grow you, then you better find out if you're involved in something that's false, that's on the side of the chief priest and the Pharisees and the guards and has fake lantern and light and weapons, has a lot of instruments, might even look like light, but even the devil can come as an angel of light. It needs to line up. Those that are his are with him, and they bow down forward, prostrate their face on the ground, and worship him as the Lord of glory. These, when he steps forward and says, I am, fall backward. Think about that for a minute. Now, I don't know how many was there. 100, 200, 300. Some people say up to 600 people. And you're standing there. And he says, I am. Boom! They all fall down. Think about the power that had to be in those words. It's in the words of God. It's contained in him who knows all things that's standing there. You see the witness of the power of God in just the words as they fall down. And we're going to have to go through this twice. He's like, they all get back up. And he goes, okay, I'm going to give you a second chance. You know how hard a heart has to be? How much under the control of the wicked one? Listening to, oh, I'm a soldier. I'm following this. Listen to me. So he gives them a second chance. They all fell to the ground. Let me give you a little bit more before we move to the second chance. Do you remember the word fail? Jesus said, same word. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it will bear no fruit. See, they should have stayed down. Listen to me. When they felt the power of God, they should have stayed down. They should have died. This is our choice. You and I. Now, of course, Jesus was talking about when he said, if I be lifted up, he was talking about being lifted up on a cross. But then now we glorify him by lifting him up. When he fell down, he was talking about being put in the ground, dying. He was talking about he is the seed. He's the semen that he sends back. The spirit, Gethsemane, is being squeezed out here through the things that he suffers for us in judgment. When they fell, they should have stayed down. We fell. He came to save those that had fallen. But notice they fell on the ground. It's really interesting. The word ground, uh, 
through the idea of a fissure in the soil. Fissure. I'm like, what's a fissure? F-I-S-S-U-R-E. Never heard that word. You guys know these words? It's what it, it's what it means when you look up ground. It means through the idea of a fissure in the soil. I'm like, I don't know what that word means. Let me look it up. It means a cleft, a narrow, a narrow chasm, a crack in the ground. I'm like, I don't know what a cleft means. So you've got to keep looking. But it's like a place for the seed to be. It's, it's this cleft in the rock where Shekinah glory was revealed. They're seeing the power of God, and they're going to get back up and arrest him anyway. It's this place where the seed of God can be planted in your heart, where there's a furrow, there's a fissure, there's a place in the ground for the seed to go and ground to be put over top of it so that fruit can grow back up in this garden. It's the same thing in your heart. They fell down where they could have grown fruit, and instead of growing fruit and staying down, staying humble, staying low, where fruit is grown from the ground, they got back up. And he's going to give them a second chance. Oh, look at this. Psalms 40. This is your homework today, too. You can read Psalms 40, all of it. I wanted to read it all. I'm not going to read it all. But 40 and 14, it's a messianic psalm as far as I'm concerned. As you read through it, you see salvation in the first uh, three verses. And then it says in 4, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. And does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. That's what we're talking about. The liar, earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom. If I go through it, we'll be here all, all month. So, But in 14, actually read 13. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. Salvation. O Lord, make haste to help me. Jesus in the garden. Let them be ashamed and brought to mutual confusion, delusion, who seek to destroy my life, death culture, let them be driven backward and brought to dishonor who wish me evil. Let them be confounded because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, the Lord be lifted up, the Lord be magnified, but I am poor and needy Yet the Lord thinks upon me, you are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. Psalms 40 is powerful when you read it all. I just wanted you to see the part where they fell backward. Listen, listen, if you repent and fall down, you can grow much fruit. If you change your mind, he's already prepared the fisher. He's already prepared the place for the seed to be planted, your heart. We'll give you a second chance. Unless the seed falls to the ground and dies, it can bear no fruit. See, we're supposed to be Christ-like. While you're down, face first on the ground, not backward, face first. Die. Allow yourself to be broken. The seed is busted open. And because of the water of the Holy Spirit, life comes out of it. Not death, life. Seven. He gives them a chance to be completed. Then he asks them again. 
Whom are you seeking? Now, now listen, listen. Are they still laying on the ground? I don't see anywhere in my text between 6 and 7 that it says they got back up. Do you? I'm not sure. Are they still down? Are they still on their backs? He asked him again, Whom are you seeking? King James is, Whom seek ye? Whom seek ye? Listen, if it's for good, it, 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 to seek means for good is worship. If it's for bad, in a Hebraism, it means to plot against his life. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? See, if you plot against God's life, you're plotting against your own life. Just like it says, if you, if, if you sin, you're sinning against your own life. Because God's given you life. This is amazing stuff. Whom seek ye? Same thing. Repeated it again. Said it a second time. Gave a second witness. He says you can metanoia while you're down there. You can change your mind. I wonder if any did. I don't know. You'd think you would, wouldn't you? If you see the power of God, you'd think that you wouldn't get up and continue to, yeah, yeah let's get him anyway. Why do we all fall down? Nobody's talking about it. Because they believed a lie. And they were following the wrong light. They were following Judas, the son of perdition. They were being led by somebody that was false. The spirit of this world. The spirit of this age. So, new beginning. Here's a new beginning. Verse 8. Jesus answered. The word answered there is because they're, they're, it means that they're, he answered and he spoke because there was an expectation of a reply. Right? When, it, when an answer is expected or required. Verse 8, new beginning. Wait a minute, did I ask you whom you're seeking? Whom seek ye? I know it's a second time. We get a second chance, born again. And then he says, past tense, new beginning, I have told you. I've spoken. I've already said it. It's all written. It's put down. 66 books, 40 authors. I have told you that I am. He reveals it to everybody. Everybody ever born on the planet will have a chance to know the great I am. And it's up to us whether we stay down and die and believe him or if we get back up and we pursue people with false instruments, lanterns and torches and wanting to kill the Lord of glory. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. Notice how he's protecting them. That's what he's doing with his death. He protects us. We get to go our way. We're set free. We have a choice to make. Even when you believe in Jesus, you have a choice to make. Whether you want to go back out and keep following the lanterns and the torches and the other instruments, the spirit of the world, you still have a choice to make. Every single day we're free will. We can make a choice. 
And we can be deceived by the enemy. That's why it says if you're overcome again, you're entangled again. We have to every day choose to die daily as Paul did. Every day decides, I want to do your will, O Lord, not mine. Maybe every moment, maybe every time somebody says a cross word to you, instead of reviling back for reviling, you have to choose that I'm going to stay down. I'm going to stay low. And I'm going to be like Christ who didn't open his mouth so that I can be a witness, so that they might get saved. Because now, the only thing that matters is other people coming to salvation. Whether I'm right or wrong doesn't matter anymore. Whether I'm tough or mean or sad, or none of them things matter anymore. What matters is, is Jesus being lifted up. Are you looking up? And are you laying up treasures in heaven? And that takes staying on the ground. That takes death in the garden which is your heart, in order for that to grow and go and bear fruit, some 60, or some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. And he's protecting them. None of them got arrested. And then, and, well, why, Greg? Verse 9, that the saying might be fulfilled, that the scripture might be fulfilled, that the word of God might be fulfilled, satisfied, which he spoke, of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. I mean, this is, this is amazing. Because again, it's unheard of. They usually just come and kill them all, arrest them all, take them all. And Jesus lost none of them. They killed him, but the rest of us get life because they killed him. But if he was given, if he took our death, then we choose freely to be crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who lived, who, who loved me and gave himself up for me. This is the love we're supposed to know. This is the fruit that's supposed to grow in our garden, in our heart, so that we will go be witnesses to others. The fruit that comes from staying down. The fruit that comes from understanding he is the great I am. Whom do you seek? What's your plan? Do you believe these words? Here in the garden, as the oil is squeezed out through the Gethsemane, through the oil press, that's how you get olive oil. It's really good for you, too. Olive oil is real good for you. Did you guys know that? I just gave like four gallons of it to a buddy of mine. My wife loved to put it in her food. Lots of calories, lots of good benefits from it. Oh! Oh! Was that what the key ingredient? Did you guys see that? The main ingredient in WD-40, olive oil. <laughs> I think that's what it was, wasn't it? Because I was thinking petroleum. The question was, what's the main ingredient in WD-40? I'm like, petroleum. The answer was olive oil. <laughs> I guess, you, you want that on Google? You're looking for it? Let me know. It's okay just to, to say yeah or no. Listen to me. 
What's the key ingredient in your heart? What's going on? Listen, you can think you're okay and you don't understand you've got a whole lot of room to grow. Because look at the next line. Then, we're in the garden still. Then, what happened? Simon Peter. Simon means heard or hearing. Heard in the Hebrew. To hear in the Greek, it can mean Peter meaning rock or chip off the old block, little stone. Having a sword, physical instrument, not the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He has a sword. Drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Malchus means king or kingdom. See, he's trying to destroy the kingdom of darkness with a physical sword. And he's a fisherman. God has made us fishermen of souls. And you cannot defeat the kingdom of darkness with a physical sword. You can't do it. It has to be the truth. It has to be the word of God. What are you trying to do in your own strength to defeat the kingdom of darkness in your own life? A lot of programs out there trying to defeat the kingdom of darkness in people's lives. The only thing that can happen is they stay down. They stay low. They let the Spirit work on their lives and they grow. Trust in the Word of God. It's enough. But here's the thing I want you to really see is there's more going on here about the mind of Christ that we need to see. Now, I, I don't know. There, there's some things. That cut off means to amputate. And, and he cut off the right ear. Is there something significant? And another text, I think it's Luke, you know, I mean, think about it. They don't even arrest Peter. Because Jesus covered up his flesh. Jesus reaches down and picks up the ear and puts it back on Malchus's head. And says, no harm, no foul. Don't touch these. I mean, seriously, he puts it back on. They've already fell down. They could be laying on the ground. They might have got back up. Does Peter strike a guy that's on the ground? I don't know. I'm not there. There's lots of things that you could have conjecture about. But Peter, who's a fisherman, now has become a fisher of souls because he's following Jesus. He went the right way, but he tries to pull out a physical sword instead of the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and he cuts off his ear. Most he, 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 was, he was moving maybe in the right direction, thinking he's going to cut his head off, but he's a fisherman. He can cast the pole. He cannot swing a sword. And he cuts off only his ear. And Jesus puts it back on. No, I want him still to be able to hear. Sometimes we do that even with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we cut off somebody's ear. You see, I think that's a big plan of the devil. He wants us to go out there and attack people in the physical, and then their spiritual ears shut down and cut off, and they can't hear anymore from you. And that's why it's so important to be very careful what you're doing in the physical, because you may lose an audience of the spiritual, because you cut off their ear. 
That's why when we die, when we hold our tongue, when we bite our lip, when we do lots of things to say no and die to self, we still have a spiritual audience that they can see that we didn't react the way other people would react to what they're doing. Just because you have a sword, just because you have the power, just because you're capable of cussing somebody out or grabbing them by their shirt collar and bouncing their head off a wall doesn't mean that you should. Because our battle is not flesh and blood. It's at principalities and powers. It's a spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, we're putting on the armor of God, which is putting on Christ, which is dying in our heart and allowing the Holy Spirit to grow fruit in our garden. What's that fruit look like? Love. What did love do? Love died. Love came down. Love went to the garden. Love stepped forward. Love did what he was called to do, not what he wanted to do. So Simon Peter, look over at Matthew 16, remember? And this is something that's important too because, see, you know, there's people that say, well, I just say what's on my mind. Well, that's not biblical. That's not godly. That's not good. You need to be led by the Spirit. Sometimes, even if you say the right thing at the wrong time, it's not very wise. You can say everything right about the Scriptures and say it at the wrong time to the wrong person without being led by the Spirit and having wisdom. Remember how Peter or Jesus said to him, Whom do men say that I am? And then what, did, what happened? They said, oh, some say, and this is uh, 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 13, 14, and 15, some said, uh, uh, you know, John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say Jeremy or Jeremiah other, or some of the other prophets. And Jesus says, whom do you see? Or, or who do, whom do you say that I am? See, these are important questions because God is saying them to every person ever born. Whom do you say that I am? Didn't he just say that? And everybody fell down? None of these guys fell down. And Matthew, when he said, I am... We don't see anybody falling down in John when he said, I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am. They fell down when they came out against him with lanterns and lights and swords. And they were going to arrest him. And he said, I am with power. He can use that power anytime he wants. But notice, then he said to Peter, Matthew 16, 16. Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Ding, 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 ding. Final answer. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Are you listening? If you know the right answer, jump down to 21. From that time, Jesus began to 1621. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples. Listen, is God showing you anything? If you're his disciple, he'll teach you. He'll show you. He'll train you. He'll learn you. Listen to me. What was he showing them, Greg? That he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised on the third day. But see, they weren't listening. 
He's showing them. He's revealing it. He's telling them. Oh, but we got our own lanterns, our own instruments, our own lights. We got our own little set of zigs going on. I'm still doing this over here. Look at 2020 or 1622. What happened? Peter had to ding, 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 ding. Now look what he does. Then Peter took him aside. Can you imagine taking the Lord of glory aside, the Mashiach of God, and began to rebuke him? Correct him? Saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Listen now, listen. He's involved in an earthly kingdom. He's following an earthly kingdom. He doesn't understand even what the gospel's talking about. Even that Jesus is coming, is going to die, even though Jesus is trying to reveal the will of the Father and what the plan was and what he had came for. And this is the time he's spending with them. And Jesus says in 1623, he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Notice it was his mind. He doesn't have on the mind of Christ. He's not learning the plan of God. He's not staying down, letting the Spirit teach him. He's not even looking for the will of God. He's still trying to take care of himself, and he wants to be the right-hand man that's all smart and slick. And Jesus calls him Satan because he has the mind of the Antichrist. He's trying to stop Jesus from going and dying in the garden. And he said it because he wasn't changing his mind and hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And now we get to the garden and he's giving himself permission to do it in action. First it was his mouth and now his heart comes out. And in action, he's still trying to be a savior. Jesus is the savior. He's still listening to the devil. And not only still listening to the devil. Now listen. He's not listening all the way to the devil. Or he'd have went out with Judas, right? But it's still his heart. His actions prove his heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Lord, don't make me rebuke you again. But we're not going to be doing that, okay? We're going to go to Jerusalem and take over. And it's going to be ours. Now, go sit down somewhere. Lord. Which is curious. But he said, you have the mind of Satan. Listen, we talked about this last week. You can have the mind of Christ or the mind of Satan. There's no middle ground. And if you have the mind of Christ, you stay down. And you keep learning. And I'm telling you, Peter was. But he put his foot in his mouth a lot. And now he's tried to do in the flesh what God is completely doing in the spirit. And what did he do? He cut somebody's ear off. And he caused damage to somebody. And Jesus fixes it. He puts grace on it. But notice, when you say it with your mouth, if you're not learning the word of God and putting it on the mind of Christ, you're still giving yourself permission to do the things in the flesh that's already in your heart. But if you're dying to self, and you're saying no to yourself, if you're understanding that there's things in here that are still wrong, you're not going to give yourself permission to take out a physical sword 
and cut somebody's head off. And see, the church is in trouble here because there's a lot of people in the street fighting for things that they shouldn't be fighting for because we're here to be a witness for the reconciliation of souls. We're not here to fight physical battles. God has all the power. All he has to do is say, I am, and every enemy will fall to the ground. In fact, he's already won. It's already over. It's finished, he said on the cross. To Telestai, it's finished. Paid in full. What are you doing in the flesh? With physical tools, with lanterns and lights and instruments. But Peter is. I mean, we're not, I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just saying we all got room to grow. But what we, when we're not putting on the mind of Christ by being in the Word of God and learning the truth of God, we still end up doing the things that are ungodly that have nothing to do with following. He's in the garden and acting like Judas. I know I can act like a fool. The fool has said in his heart no to God, but I can do stuff and keep doing it just like Peter's doing here. Notice he doesn't get rebuked for it either. That's an interesting thought. Back here, when he said it, he got rebuked for it. Here, Jesus just puts his ear back on. Is that enough? Is that a rebuke enough? It's an amazing text. I don't know, guys. In your relationship, you can figure that out yourself. I've cut many people's ears off, though. And God's put grace right upon it. And the servant's name, his character, his nature, his will was king. Dumb. Be careful what you're believing, what you're listening to, what you're watching. Whom do you seek? If you're seeking Christ, then you should be putting on the mind of Christ. You should be learning what he's doing. It's all contained here. 66 books, 40 authors. What he's doing on the planet is contained here. Don't get your news by standing with people on TV. Don't get your news from the reporters. Don't get your news. I think they're having, well, they're having a big, uh, a, a big uh, 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 demonstration in Washington today or something. Isn't there a big march against Israel today? Is that today? I don't know. There's supposed to be a big march against Israel, standing for Hamas, which means violence, wickedness. They're terrorists. And, and if you watch TV, they're calling it a war. It's not a war. It was terrorists. That's as bad as saying that, that when 9-11 happened and the Twin Towers come down, that we were now at war. We called them terrorists. This is not a war. It was a terrorist attack. And yet if you get your news from somebody else, you'll think that Hamas is just being deprived of their own land. But the Bible is clear. The only reason that America has been blessed is because we stood with Israel. Israel means one governed by God. We stood by God's firstborn son, the nation of Israel. That's why America has been blessed. That's why you see these countries, they say, we are going to kill America first and then Israel. Don't get your eyes someplace that you don't know where they're at when you don't know what the word of God says. Listen, we're big Satan, they're little Satan. They know that they have to kill the head, the one that's protecting them. Now we're over there falsely protecting them. They've got it almost done. Look up. Your redemption draweth nigh. Don't get focused on that. What are we supposed to be doing, people? What's the only ministry we have? 
See, we're not supposed to get caught up in the physical. God's got that. Our ministry is the ministry of reconciliation of souls. I can pray for Israel. I can pray for the peace of Israel. But you know when that's going to happen? When Jesus puts his, his feet on the Mount of Olivet. He puts his feet back down and it splits open. That's when peace comes. He is our peace. That's when there's going to be peace. That's what that prayer means. When you're praying for the peace of Jerusalem, that's praying for Jesus to come. That's not praying that physical people fighting over physical things will, will stop fighting. Which is what the world wants. And then they bring you peace and peace and then sudden destruction comes. It's coming. Because destruction is going to come from those who fall backward. It's going to come from God. And they're going to keep falling backward. They keep falling backward. Why do I keep falling backward? Why do I keep falling backward? Because you won't fall forward. And put on the mind of Christ. And allow him to dig a fissure in your heart so that the seed will grow up. And you'll trust him. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Put on the mind of Christ. So that what comes out of your heart, the words are the mind of Christ. They're the love of God. The actions, they're the ministry of God. They're the work of God. To do thy will, O God. Because what you get here is what your actions and your hands are going to do. What you believe here is what your hands are going to do. Peter was still believing he could stop this in the physical with a sword. That's why he pulled a sword out. I'm going to rescue God. God doesn't need rescuing. He's the great I am. The great I am. So look, he gets another rebuke right here in the text. 11. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Isn't that amazing? What cup? Father, if, this, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. When he was in the garden the last time. It's a cup of the judgment for you and me. It's a cup full of the judgment for the sin of the world. This purpose I came, the Lamb of God. He came as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God can't dwell in the presence of sin. And so he paid for it all so he can deal with us in a righteous way. Isn't that amazing? I'm like, I don't even comprehend that completely. You see people's sin. God is trying to save people. Even his enemies. He said, pray for your enemies. I'll get them. No. Pray for them. Pray that their hearts would change. We do not want, and God does not want, and the mind of God does not want anyone to perish, but all to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. All to come to change their mind about fighting against God. That's what we're wanting. That's what we want. It's the same thing that God wants. If we're putting on the mind of Christ, we want everyone, even our worst enemies, to come to salvation, to change their mind, to repent, to bear fruit worthy of repentance. 
drink the cup. Because he drank his cup, guess what cup we get to drink? The communion cup. We're in co-union with God now because Jesus drank the judgment of the world. The cup that the Father gave him. Then now the Father gives us this cup of union, atonement, once again in union with him. And we get to drink that cup. The cup of communion. Wow. Co-union with God. Betrothed to Christ. Father, thank you. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that's been squeezed out and sent back to seal us, to train us, to, to wash us and cleanse us, to lead us in communion, to train us. Oh, wow. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for taking our punishment. Teach us not to use physical swords. Teach us, Lord, how to use the sword of the Spirit, which is your word. Help us to put on your mind and your love and your grace and mercy for others. Help us to be vessels and instruments of mercy because you've taken the judgment. Wake us up, Lord, at the heart of our Christian walk. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because I